welcome to Radical Math Talk, the podcast dedicated to the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I will highlight the incredible educators who are reshaping, redefining, and decolonizing the way that math education is taught in our schools. In other words, this will not be your typical math podcast. My goal is to center the stories and hidden truths that will not only ignite a cultural paradigm shift in math education, but more specifically, explore the multiple ways in which math can be used as a vehicle for social justice and anti-racist solidarity. So if you are ready for a math revolution like no other, then sit back, relax, and lend me your ears as we embark on this journey together. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Radical Math Talk, the show for the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Salfamensa. And if this is your first time tuning in to the podcast, I welcome you and I hope that you enjoy today's episode and you come back for some more. And if this is your not so first time or you're a returning listener or viewer of this podcast, uh, we welcome you back and we hope that today's episode is one that you once again find informative, enlightening, and of course, insightful. So before we get to our main event, uh, please make sure you hit the subscribe button if you're on YouTube. Yes, hit that red subscribe button. Uh, that will give you future notifications for episodes coming up for not just this podcast, but for our flagship podcast, Identity Talk for Educators Live. And also, if you are someone that wants to monetarily contribute to this platform, we accept donations through Cash App and Venmo. If you are on Cash App, the handle is money sign ID talk for ed. And if you're on Venmo, the handle is at symbol K W A M E S M. That's Kwame S M. So make sure you be on the lookout for us as we continue to bring on these phenomenal guests. Thank you kindly for your support. All right, y'all. So as you all know, um, last month was mathematics and statistics awareness month and one of the focuses for the month is to inform the greater public about the importance of building math confidence in our learners uh particularly those who are black and brown and also our young women who are in the stem fields so really just bringing awareness to all these different issues that we find not just in math but in a broader sense, in the STEM fields. Um, and we have somebody who's going to come on here today who's going to talk with us about how we can build math confidence. Uh, she is a math tutor who is all about seeing the best in all of her tutories. And she also is someone who is all about empowering young girls, particularly women of color to get into the STEM fields uh, because that's something that we do need to bring more awareness about, um, especially when you think about the leaky pipeline that exists um, in the STEM disciplines where you don't have a whole lot of people in general, but more specifically women not advancing into the 
doctoral stages to pursue higher degrees in STEM disciplines. So really just bringing awareness around that. Uh, she's just phenomenal. And I just can't wait to get her on to start this conversation. So we're going to bring her on right now so we can get this thing started. But without further ado, I'd like to bring on Mrs. Brittany Rose to the podcast to talk about Black Girl Magic and what it's all about. What's what's all this magic all about? So let's bring her on. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. What up, though? <laughs> Who taught you that? Who Come taught on, you that? I told you, this is becoming the Detroit podcast, so... We, we, we've had enough Detroit people on. It's like you feel like you're there. You feel like you know you, you know you're from there. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me respond properly. What up, though? All right. How, how you feel? Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, we've been trying to do this thing for a couple of months and so, but we're glad that we got it together. Yes, we finally got it together. I'm so excited yes. to be here. So family, everybody's well. Everybody is well. For the listeners or the viewers, whenever you're watching this, you may hear a small person very soon because I am a new mom. I have a seven-month-old and she is currently eating as we speak. So she may make her presence known. All right, so, seven-month-old, so seven yeah. huh? Seven-month-old. Yeah. So she's definitely eating solids. Yep. Yep, that's good. That oh, wait, silence, silence. I thought you said eating in silence because we can't hear her right now. Oh, uh, we're still working on the silence. We, All right. We, we we getting there. We're a little slow to, to get started, but we're we're, okay. we're we're actively working on it. It is all good. We all go at our <laughs> different paces. Um, you know, my son, you know, we started putting him on solids around this time six months yeah. seven month mark yeah. and i mean we that added maybe three hours of sleep alone because the milk is already heavy right yeah milk and then you know the solids mixed in with that and then of course naturally they're falling asleep mm -hmm. that's just longer sleep um you know sleep period for them but you'll yes. get there you'll get there. there and you're you you're providing more inspiration. I mean, the doctor was like, "Y'all need to get started," and we were like, "Okay." Um, so the more we, the more inspiration we get, I think the quicker we'll get it together over here. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's the key is to get back those hours of sleep. You want to get That's them right. out of that. Sure um, do. And usually, when you start with the solids. The solids is the start of you reclaiming your sleep time. Reclaiming your sleep time, yes. <laughs> That's the start. That's right. Yes. But but let's go ahead and talk about some math because that's why we're here, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so one thing that I love to have my guests do is to talk about their mathography. So as a teacher, whenever I have a new group of students, to start off the year, always want to know the math stories. What is their relationship with math? From yes. the time that they came into the earth, from the time that they came into school at the kindergarten level, all the way up until now. So just for context, I usually get them around seven to eighth grade. So I'm a middle school teacher. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these students come in with trauma. A lot mm -hmm. of them come in with just 
different kinds of relationships about, you know, about math. So I want to know the nature of these relationships through their stories. So um, the mathography is my way of starting to diagnose how I can best support them for that year. Now, in the context of this podcast, we want to know from the guest what their math stories are, because you can't do what you do with Black Girl Magic without having a math story of your own. Right. As far as how you got started with it, how you've been able to grow with it, the ups and downs and and where you are today with this. So I want to give you the floor to just share how it got started for you. I don't have a memory of not liking math. I have always liked math since I was a little girl. It's always been my favorite subject, always. And when I tell this story, when I share my math story, especially when I'm talking to young people, I always have to add to that kind of like an asterisk. Math was always my favorite subject growing up, asterisk, but that doesn't mean I didn't struggle. I had to study. I had to read the book. I had to ask questions. It wasn't like a concept was presented to me and I just caught on in five seconds and, you know, just churned out the assignment in five seconds. Like, no, I had to work. Um, But it was still always my favorite subject. I've always liked numbers and loved learning different patterns. And perhaps one of the most pivotal periods in my math stories when I was in high school. So my freshman year, ninth grade, I took algebra one, which, you know, was the course that everybody took freshman year. And my teacher, Miss Hughes, I'll never forget her, black woman, black woman algebra teacher. Um, she noticed my aptitude and my excitement around math and algebra. Specifically, I love algebra. And she was like, hey, you know, I'm noticing, you know, you have good grades. You seem to really enjoy this. I would like to recommend you to, in addition to geometry, your sophomore year, which was the required math class. She was like, I want to recommend you to take algebra two also, which typically wasn't taken until junior year. So that would be two math classes in 10th grade. And I was all over it like, yes. So I did that. And then my junior year, I had pre-calculus. And then my senior year, I had AP Calculus AB. And it was around my senior year that my mother, who is at the time was a principal of a kindergarten through eighth grade school, recommended or just kind of it was more of a suggestion she was like, you know, you're, you're pretty good at this math thing. You should probably, you should, maybe you should major in math when you go to college. And I remember all these years later, scrunching up my face, like, who would do that? Who would go to college and just major in math? Like, and, and, and this comes from somebody who loved math. Like, that's all they're doing is majoring in math. I just, my poor little teenage brain couldn't wrap its mind around majoring in just straight math. So my mom didn't say anything anything more about it. And then I got to college. I went to Spelman. And I started out as a dual degree engineering major where I was going to major in computer science at Spelman. And then I was going to go to Georgia Tech and do computer engineering. Well, I'm a little old and coding was not the, the sexy thing that it is now. And it really just did not resonate with me. So at the beginning of my sophomore year at Spelman, I called my mother with my tail in between my legs. And I was like, I'm changing my major to math. So 
you know, moms, mom, moms, sometimes they know, sometimes they know what they're talking about. So that's how, that's my mathography. Hi, nice. And you may be the first guest I've had who said that their favorite subject was math, but they struggled throughout K to 12 with it, but still stuck with it. So I have a question about that. At that young age, what gave you the confidence and the persistence to just stick with it, even when you were going through your challenges? So that's a great question. I think for me, number one, being raised by an educator. So my mother is someone who who feels that teaching is a ministry. And she was called to the ministry at seven years old. She knew mm. she wanted to be a teacher when she was seven years old. So she's a lifelong educator, career educator. She taught for about 20 years and then she was a principal for about 20 years. Has a, Her bachelor's is in special ed. So she's worked with the special needs population as well. So being raised by somebody with that level of experience and education in education, I just really liked school. Like I can't even lie about it. I was your self-proclaimed nerd, although I didn't wear glasses. Um, these are actually my blue light blocking glasses that I have on. These are not prescription. Um, but I just really liked school. So I love to learn. I love, you know, I loved figuring things out and I loved problem solving. And actually, one of the mathematicians we featured in a past Black Girl Magic Box. She said in her interview, when I interviewed her, she said, math class is the first place we learn how to problem solve as, as children, but also as humans. Yes. And I had never thought about it like that. I it, That had never crossed my mind. And I was like, Eureka, like you're right. And I think that's part of the reason why I stuck with it is because even when it was difficult, it's because I loved problem solving and math really gave you that opportunity um, at a young age to do so. So for me, it was just enjoying the subject, liking numbers. And also, as I've been on this Black Girl Magic journey, I have been reflecting more on that because people ask me. And I think too, because I was very much a rule follower growing up, very like straight laced. And again, educators kid, like follow the rules, you know, all of that good stuff. And right. math as it is taught, or as it was taught, especially when I was a kid, it was about following rules. Although we now know, yeah, we now know that that's not, that doesn't necessarily work for every child um, <laughs> for it to be presented in that way. And that's really not math, right? Like for those of us who have studied math and have learned and over the years and also trying to make it appealing to children and trying to show them that it's much more than what they're learning in school. Like we know that it's not always about following rules, but you know, the way it's presented as a kid, especially in the nineties and two thousands was you're following rules. And so for somebody who was, who was like innately into following rules, it just, it really worked for me. It just worked with my personality. Yeah, no, for sure. And that was how we all learned math. That's how I learned math. Um, and I know we're around the same age, so it was pretty much about following the algorithms, following mm -hmm. the steps, and getting to the answer. The answer is yep. all that mattered, not so much the process you took to get to the answer. So that's something that I think we all could relate to um, going through our K-12 schooling with math. Yep, for sure. So, and that yeah. worked for me, but as I got older and especially once I started studying math in college and then even mm -hmm. in graduate school, I got my MBA, but I went to Carnegie Mellon. So like a very math 
heavy program. The school known for its quantitative rigor. And then once I once I got out into the world and you know began tutoring and all of that, you just start to really look at math differently. Like, wait a minute, it's so much more in a good way, in a beautiful way. It's so much more than what was presented to me, um, quote unquote, in school. Let's let's stay on that for a second because I was a math major as well when I was at Temple University and one of the toughest transitions I had was just being able to excel in those abstract math courses because throughout my whole K-12 schooling, it was very much procedural, like we just talked about. Get the formula, get the algorithm, apply it, plug numbers in, Mm -hmm. get the answer. You didn't have to do a lot of reasoning. It wasn't a whole lot of conceptual learning. Uh, with regard to different skills and making connections between different concepts. We didn't go through all that during my um, K-12 schooling. So it wasn't until college that I started to interact with proving theorems and conjectures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, of course, I'm taking courses like uh, linear algebra, all the calculuses, uh, differential geometry, right? Probability. And these are courses where it's not computational. It's really like, okay, we need to prove that this theorem actually works in these different situations. How can you prove that this theorem works? Or how can you disprove a theorem? Right. With a counter argument, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't have to deal with that in school until I got to college. And that was a difficult transition for me. And I found myself struggling. So I guess you had the same type of journey. Oh, yes. I worked really hard for that bachelor's in math. It was a struggle. Oh, my goodness. It was a lot of late nights, a lot of, as you were talking about proving theorems and proofs, All I, I had this flashback in my head of being in Spelman's Science Center on the whiteboard, just writing those proofs over and over again. And I remember A lot of times when people see my handwriting has always been neat, but when I write, a lot of times when I write on, on dry erase boards, it's like a straight line, but I don't have any lines. It's just a blank, you know, it's a blank whiteboard, but I'm writing in a straight line and people are amazed. And I'm like, that's from being a math major. This from being a math major and writing proofs over and over and over again and concepts and trying to learn stuff. And you just, after a while, you know, you're just, it's like you're writing on line paper. Yeah, that's true. Like once you kind of get that legibility down, you have like an invisible line. Yeah, invisible lines on the whiteboard <laughs> where it's yep. like you can kind of use your your spatial reasoning to kind of just see. There you go. Straight. See, yep. we, we, like we here. I, I got you. <laughs> I got you. So, so I want to go ahead and transition to the second part where we're talking about showing your work, right? So. One thing that we always talk about as math people is this importance of showing work, showing the evidence. You may have tutories in your case or students in my case come up to us with their work and all we see is answers or there are certain steps missing. There is gaps in their reasoning. And it's like, okay, I need you to show your work. Mm -hmm. This isn't sufficient for me. I need to know how you got from A to Z. Because I can learn more about that path you took 
than what the NC is showing me. And having to reinforce that time and time again. Um, and I think it goes back to how we grew up because there was so much emphasis on getting the answer that we kind of just overlooked the process that people took to get to the answer. Now, in this context, show your work means you're showing receipts and you can have so many receipts when it comes to the work that you do with helping um, not just young girls build confidence in math, but just young people in general uh, build confidence in math. So I want to start there. What do you believe are the keys to helping students build confidence and, and decrease their anxiety in math? There are so many pun intended variables. <laughs> um, I love it. <laughs> I love a good pun. Clearly, the name of my business is a pun or a play on words, I should say. Um, but one of the first things, or I guess the, the, the biggest thing is E for exposure. So giving kids an opportunity, and that looks like a, a variety of different things. So giving kids an opportunity to be exposed to what it looks like to be a math learner. So number one, we always, you know, representation is a buzzword these days, but it's so true. Kids need to see people who look like them, who actually enjoy math and who actually do math, enjoying and doing math. That's what they need to see um, because it helps them see themselves in that position. Um, it helps build their confidence, especially with girls. They need to see women who are mathematicians, women who are doing math and who enjoy math as well. Um, also, just giving them opportunities to engage in math, again, outside of that procedural context. You know, there's a, a math museum in New York, I believe. Um, I haven't been, but I've seen pictures and read things online. And I'm like, how cool would it be to spend a day there engaging with math in an entirely different way? So giving our kids opportunities to engage in in math as an art, you know, as something, as a creative endeavor. It's not always presented that way, but it can be very creative. Um, and then also really making sure as adults that we're checking our implicit bias around math, not using math phobic language around our young people because they do internalize that. And also having frank conversations with them you know, like what you do, Kwame, which I think is genius, which is what is your mathography? Like they're coming into the classroom. What is your math story? I just, I haven't, I'm sure there are educate, other educators who do that, but growing up, I just don't remember any, I don't remember hearing that as a thing when, when I was coming up, especially in math class, it was like, you know, you're going to do this algorithm and call it a day. But even giving kids the space to talk about their math fear or to or to address their math trauma in an intentional way, that goes a long way in building their confidence and decreasing their anxiety. And like I always say, you know, you have to do math to do math. So you just got to do it, you know, and not be afraid to ask questions and not be afraid to make mistakes. So they need environments where those things are celebrated, where it's not just, oh, oh, we say you can't make mistakes, or excuse me, oh, we say you can make mistakes, but then in reality, when you do, it's, it, they're made to feel like that's a bad thing. Or, oh, we say you can ask questions, but in reality, when you do ask questions, you know, kids are, don't feel, they feel shamed or they feel embarrassed or whatever the case may be. So really making it, basically walking the talk. Like, if you say, let's make it a safe environment 
for kids to make mistakes in math class and for them to ask questions in math class, then it really needs to be that. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And, you know, when we when we think about that, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that it's okay to make mistakes uh, because so often when people think about people who they consider mathematicians or math people, there's this misconception that these are folks who just were born with this math ability and they've mm -hmm. always been good at math, straight A's, and that's what they love to do. But the reality is there are some who were probably straight C students and math was still their favorite subject. Yeah. And maybe it's because they had teachers who were able to embed that love for math in them. Mm -hmm. And that's what allowed them to keep on pushing in spite of the fact that they might not have been the, the strongest uh, math learner. So I'm, right. I'm glad that, you know, you were able to share your story. And honestly, that's the reason why I love to do the mathography is because I want people to see that not all math people look the same, mm -hmm. nor do they go through the same experiences. It's varied. <laughs> You know, it is. It's it's so many different experiences. And what's so interesting about math, too, especially since I've started Black Girl Math Jig, is even starting Black Girl Math Jig and, and now running it, people they will they will share their mathography, you know, without being asked, like without without you know, because I'm I'm interested in people's math stories, but just by the nature of starting this business, people have come out and typically, um, you know, typically it's women that we interact with a lot because our customers, our primary customer is a woman. And her story is always, where were you when I was 12 years old? I hated math. I had this class, or I remember the exact moment when I checked out of math or when I felt like I wasn't a math person. And so it's just, it's, it's almost like we we could actually do a study on this or like if we had a nickel for every time somebody came up to us and said, Oh Lord, I'm just, you know, I'm just not, I'm not, that's not my thing. We would have a lot of money. So it's just been very interesting, um, you know, to see these different stories and to, to see these different experiences that people have had with math. Right. And, and let's talk about uh black girl magic, right? Uh, because I'm thinking about the fact that, you did attend the HBCU. Yeah. Very popular one, Spelman College, right? So, yes. And I'm just thinking, you probably had some early exposure to some Black women mathematicians or influential figures who are Black women in the math fields during your time. And I'm wondering if that early exposure was part of your motivation uh, for starting uh, Black Girl Magic? So that's a great question. Um, I would say the seed for Black Girl Magic was planted very early because like I mentioned earlier, I've always, I love math my whole life. Right. I would definitely say though that Spellman is, you know, they call Spelman the birthplace of Black Girl Magic. And I actually joked around one day and I said, and the birthplace of Black Girl Magic. Although the idea for Black Girl Magic did not happen while I was at Spelman, that 
it, there was another special seed. It was like different seeds being planted, but there was another special seed or another milestone in this journey that was planted at Spelman because Spelman was actually where I started tutoring. So I started tutoring in the math lab at Spelman and my mom always fusses because I never actually went through the very easy process of actually becoming a paid tutor. So I would just be in there like tutoring for free, even though some of my cohort, some of my folks, my colleagues, my classmates, you know, had paid gigs in the math lab. But at last I didn't do that. Um, so I would just be in there hanging out, doing my work. And a lot of students who came into the math lab were liberal arts majors or, you know, people who only needed one math class to satisfy their major. And then they couldn't wait to be done with math. And so that was where I learned about the concept of math anxiety. And uh oh, oh no, uh, pumpkin, are you up? The little one, are you up? Okay, oh. say hi, Mister Kwame. Say hi. Wait, oh, can you wow. see me? You are such a cutie. Say What's thank her you. Her name is Zendaya, like the actress. Oh, hi, Zendaya. Bye, Zendaya. Came, he, said, hi. he said, bye. Daddy came and took me away. Um, so, yeah, we can talk about, you know, even now me being a new mom and having a, a girl, everybody's like, oh, she's going to love math. I'm like, well, she might. But even if she doesn't, she'll know that she's a math person. So speaking of which, so yeah, back to my, do you want me to start from the beginning of that question? No, you keep it going. Oh, okay. This is a family podcast. It's so a we family good. podcast. We breastfeeding <laughs> and everything on the podcast. For real. <laughs> so, so yeah, the math lab was where I learned about math anxiety. Although I graduated from Spelman in 2006. So this, at the time, I didn't know math anxiety wasn't a term that was in, you know, common vocabulary it wasn't like a right. thing but that is, is essentially what i was introduced to um this concept of like people really hate math like people really hate it they don't they have a fear of it they don't like it they want to be done with it so once i realized that i really started to get i used to i used to for fun it was it was fun for me to to help people see math in a different light or to show them that they could do math or to show them that math wasn't that bad. It was almost like I became a math ambassador. Like I'm on a mission to show you how math is relevant to what you're doing, no matter what right. your major is and how, you know, you can do it too. Like it's not reserved for those of us who are majoring in it. You know, everybody can do it. So right. after I graduated um, and from then on, I have been a tutor ever since. So that's, it's been about, let me see. I've been tutoring since I was 17. Yeah, so it's been a, a good 20 years. And over the years, um, you know, I just continued to encounter students who did not like math. Every now and then I would get some kids who enjoyed it or, you know, at least were somewhat excited about it. But the old, kind of the, the main pattern I noticed is like, okay, kids really hate math. And that's for a variety of reasons, which I'm sure we've touched on already, but we will talk some more about that. So a few years ago, when I first met, who's now my husband, who just came and grabbed baby, he, <laughs> <laughs> he introduced me to the wonderful world of subscription boxes. So this was 2014. So they were still kind of new. It was, it was like some people knew about them, but 
a lot of people didn't. And I was one of those people who didn't know about subscription boxes, but he had and has a really crazy work schedule and he wanted to make sure he was still eating healthy meals. So at the time he was getting HelloFresh um, and Blue Apron. He kind of went between the two yeah. delivered to his house. And I had never heard of any of this. And so I was over one day and we cooked one of the meals together and I was like, wait a minute. So they just send you the food and the recipe and yep. in this box and all you got to do is cook it. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, this is really cool. But this was 2014. I didn't really, ha I didn't have a subscription box idea at the time, but at this, now I have my MBA, I've studied business. And so now I'm just really into businesses and business models. And so I was just like, what? well, that's really cool. Like I was really into the business model. And so, you know, I didn't have an idea, but I was like, all right, this is fun. So a few years later, it was funny. I'm like, of course, a mathematician will, will notice this. Things were happening in even number years. So in 2016, <laughs> um, so at this time, I had been tutoring for a little while, for years at this point. But I had taken a small break when I was in grad school. And then for a short period, um, once I was out in the in the work, the world of work, but I started to miss it. And I ended up beginning to tutor at a local nonprofit here in Detroit called the Downtown Boxing Gym, which is an actual boxing gym where the kids learn how to box and some of them compete professionally. But in addition to the athletics, they also have a very serious academic arm. Their, right. their, their uh, slogan changed, but it used to be books before boxing. So as in addition to, you know, this being a gym, also after school program and, and even through COVID and all day, all day program. And so they were looking for a math tutor. They were having trouble finding someone to help the older kids, um, like the middle and high school kids with math. And so I interviewed and, and got the job and I started touring there. I would go two days a week after I, after I left my day job. I used to work in the nonprofit sector. So I was do my work day and then leave early sometimes and, and go tutor the kids. And one of the things I noticed very quickly, again, being a mathematician and studying patterns, is that a lot of the students, and this was this is boys and girls, but a lot of them did not, not only did they not have a strong foundation in basic math, they also, especially the girls, they were not confident in their math ability. So sometimes I, I would have, I may have been working with you know, like a seventh grader or a ninth grader who has not mastered multiplication. So guess what? Algebra feels 10 times harder than it needs to. Um, eighth grade math feels 20 times harder than it needs to. And I was really looking at that because these kids come from all over, not, all, not only all over from the city of Detroit, but even the suburbs. They go to different schools. They're in different grades. They're in different points of their math journey. So what you couldn't say like, oh, it's these kids from this school who are struggling. Like maybe let's see what's going on, you know, with the, with the curriculum or whatever. It was like across the board. Every now and then I would have a student who was excited about math or who felt, you know, reasonably comfortable with their math ability. But more often than they were an outlier, more often than not, the kids were not confident and they didn't have that foundation in place. So it was making things a lot more difficult than it needed to. And so I was really sitting with that and I was like, I wanna do something more. You know, tutoring is great, but it's very one-to-one. -one. You have to be physically present. 
to tutor. And by this time, I now know that math anxiety is a thing, not only in Michigan or Detroit, but you know, all across the United States and, and even in some other countries. And I was like, I got to do something else, but I don't know what to do. So now it's now this is 2018. Subscription boxes are a thing. Not only that, STEM subscription boxes have kind of emerged as this growing category. And I'm looking at the STEM subscription box landscape and I'm like, okay, we got all kinds of STEM subscription boxes. We got coding, we got chemistry, we got engineering, we got this, we got that. Where are the math boxes? I don't see, I didn't see any boxes focused on, on math in a fun way. It was like maybe one box that was out at the time, but they were actually going out of business. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a math-based subscription box. And at the time, I knew I was going to focus on girls because now at this time, at this point, I have been tutoring for over a decade. And now I can say with confidence that girls tend to be less confident in their math ability than boys. And so I really wanted to focus on helping girls feel good about math. Then I started to dig a little deeper, not only from my own experiences, but also reading studies and interviewing friends with, with daughters that there's also a race component that I would like mm -hmm. to take into account. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I was once a Black girl. I've worked with predominantly Black children. Um, I was born and raised and live in Detroit. Um, so I understand some of the disparities that exist. And just to back up my experiences, I started doing a lot of research. And so now I'm reading not only about the relationship uh, with math that girls and boys have and how that can look different, but then also from a racial perspective in terms of access to even access to algebra classes and AP math classes can be very different in communities that are right next to each other. So. I looked at all that together, and then now there's this other term, intersectionality, which is, of course, a math term. And now we're looking at girls who are Black and their math experiences. So they're doubly marginalized. They're, they're girl and they're Black. So there's a lot happening in that intersection. And I said, you know what? I want to create something where a little Black girl can see herself as a math person. Not to mm. say that other kids won't, because as I'll share later on, our, we our subscribers are all, you know, all colors and stripes. But I wanted to be very clear when a when a black girl sees this box and sees this product that it's telling her specifically that she is a math person and that she can do math too because the there's she already has so many messages from the world telling her that she's not a math person. And I love a good play on words. And, at, you know, by this time, Black Girl Magic is a term. And it's it's, it's a route. It's kind of like a, a way for us to come together. And, you know, it's this, oh, it's accomplishments and achievements. And I said, yeah. hey, this is like a positive statement. And I'm just going to put a, my little spin on it. And so that's how Black Girl Magic was born. Oh, man. Awesome. Awesome. And I've had a chance to see some of the different elements or components of a black girl magic subscription box and, and there are many but one thing that i want to hone in on is the emphasis that you put on literacy 
so often in our math classrooms, we tend to silo math and then we silo literacy. Yes. I'm of the mindset that as a math teacher, I am also a literacy teacher. Matter of fact, I believe that every teacher is a literacy teacher, if you think about it, because in math, particularly when you're thinking about um, word problems, for instance, you are applying comprehension strategies that you learn in your ELA class. Correct. You're learning how to read the context, read for context clues. You're identifying um, some key details that'll help you figure out what, how to solve an answer. Like a lot of those same strategies that you're using for comprehension, you got to apply to math. And and you you know we have word walls in math just like we do in, and you know literacy class. So why are we separating the two? But I want you to talk about how literacy helps students strengthen their abilities as math learners because I think that's something that we have to highlight. Absolutely. And I was so, oh my goodness. I remember when I was thinking about, okay, what can come in this box? And I knew I wanted reading to be something that was very prominent because of my experiences with my students over the years being so irritated when they had to read and write in math class, you know, when they were right. And they, and they and they'd be like, "Why are we reading? We we it's supposed math. to be doing numbers, right? It's Why are we reading like, though?" Yes, and I'm like, "Well, I know where they got it from, but I'm like, who told you that you had that it was separate?" So very intentional. <laughs> we always have a writing and a reflect a reflection writing activity in each box, and yes, they have to read the mathematician's interview and the book, the math activity booklet. In fact, this month and last month, both of those boxes had actual chapter books in them. So all about the literacy and everything you said is so true. Um, I think that you, and you mentioned some of it already, just the reading for context, understanding what the question is asking you, but also understanding, even understanding language, because there's so much of math that when you translate it into English, it helps you make sense of the problem. So for example, when kids are learning about monomials, binomials, and trinomials, triangles, like what is that? What is that? What are those three the letters prefix. at the beginning? What is that prefix? Yeah. Thank you. What yep. is the prefix of tri? It means three. So, you know, if you're dealing with a triangle, you're working with three angles. You know, if you're dealing with a trinomial, you're working with three terms. Where else do you see tri popping up? You know that whenever you see it, you know that means three of something. Bi means two, mono means one, poly means many. So all of these various ways. And 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 one of the things I, I often tell my students is like math is in some ways is very obvious. It's like they they tell you exactly, you know, the word or whatever we call the thing. It's very clear what that thing is. And if it's not, you have to know the vocabulary words. How are you going to find the hypotenuse if you don't know what a hypotenuse is? How are you going to do the assignment if you haven't read read the instructions? What is the and sometimes I ask my students that they'll be like, oh Miss Brittany, I don't understand this. And I'm like, read the directions to me. And just that one small task. Now they're so much more clear on what to do, even if they may still need a little help, 
but now they're so much more clear because they read the directions yeah. <laughs> and this is stuff that sounds simple but you know sometimes our babies are just, just trying to get it done they don't got time for all they want to get in and get out and get on with whatever else they want to do um so literacy is so important it plays a role in so many things obviously as you mentioned the word problems and also the deductive reasoning like being able to make sense some because sometimes you know the word problems will give you more than you need they'll give you more details True. on purpose Yep. So you have to be able to use that deductive reasoning and making those inferences, you know, things that are really strengthened in literacy and ELA class to figure out what is the question actually asking me to do and what information can I not use or, or what, do, what do I know I need to use and what do I maybe not need to use? So there's so, so many ways that literacy pops up. And yeah, it, it is always my goal that kids don't see math as this silo. And then I also think some of that too, is just, as I mentioned, I just love school and I love to learn and I love to read as a kid. And I, I don't want kids to feel like they have to choose between the two. You know, sometimes you'll hear adults say, oh, I wasn't really into math because I was more into the arts and I was more creative. Well, guess what? You, like the song says, you can get you somebody who can do both. You can do both. Like nobody said that if you like math that you don't you don't have you you can't like reading or that if you love to read that you that you can't like math or if that you into yeah. art you can't be into geometry. Guess what? Geometry and art are like the same thing. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. So I'm I'm just really big on that every single month, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And as I mentioned before, the Ma Black Girl Magic Box has so many components, and I'm sure it takes a good amount of time and energy to put those boxes together on a monthly basis. So I'm wondering, can you just walk us through, in general, what the process is for putting together a box? typically i know it's different every month but yeah what's that process like for you i'm smiling like this because my husband said it's like i'm putting out putting out a new album every month and i hadn't thought about <laughs> it like that and i was like yeah that's that's a good that's a good analogy yeah. so there are a few general questions that i ask myself every month so i i curate the boxes and there's a few things I have going on at the same time, but there's always this general question. So I already know on a high level what's going to be in the box every month. You know, it's when okay. we explain like on our website, like, hey, this is what you're going to get in the box. So that's always going to be a profile of a Black woman mathematician, three to five items to bring the theme to life, including at least one screen-free activity or manipulative custom sticker sheet, math activity booklet, math affirmation and checklist, caring adult guide for the adults, whoever's working with the child, and a what's inside guide. So I know I, I'm going to have all those components, all those items are going to come in the box. In terms of the actual box itself, the story, the mathography of the Black woman mathematician is where we start because every box is based on a real world theme and that theme is is determined by who the mathematician is mm -hmm. so for example i'll use um 
so many options these days. We've done so many boxes, which is a beautiful thing. So let's see, which one do I want to use? We did, since we're talking about literacy, I'll just talk about our April mathematician. So her name is Anna Gifty. And she is a student at Harvard Kennedy School, but she also just edited and published a book called The Black Agenda. And so mm. she has a math degree. Now she's working on, I believe, her PhD in public policy. Anna, if I if I quoted if I quoted your what you're studying wrong, please forgive me. Or economics, one of those. Anyway, so she just edited and published this book called The Black Agenda. So the theme for that month's box was published. And we were doing a lot of book math because you can't publish a book without doing a little bit of math. So in Anna's box, we interviewed her. So they got her interview and a little bio about her. And then those three to five items, of course, as, as we just talked about, one of them had to be a book because we were talking about publishing in book math. So we put a book in there called Confidentially Yours, Brooks not so perfect plan by an author named joe whitmer and it was about a group of friends who worked in on their school's newspaper so again keeping the okay. book and writing theme going and this and then they we got to sneak in some seo components because the main character was like learning about how to manage her time she had taken on too much and how to manage her time and you know how to be how to plan and all of that good stuff so we we sneak in seo sometimes social emotional learning sometimes in there as well so that was the first item and then the second item was, um, what else did we put in there? We put a, why am I drawing a blank on what we put? We just shipped these boxes and I'm sitting here like, what else can we, what else? And my mom is like, if she's, if when she listens to this, she's going to be like, why didn't you have the box in front of you? Um, we also put in there... Actually, I'm going to have to check because I literally cannot remember what we put in Anna's box. Anna, don't be mad at me. Um, so we also had, and I have I have a, a nice visual that we include in every box. So that's going to be helpful for me in this moment. <laughs> it's all good. Um, oh, yes. We also had a, so it's like a, the next step. It's like a bookmark plus 10 because instead of like, a, it's called, they're called placekeepers. So instead of an actual bookmark that you just put in the book, it, you actually can put, it's like shaped like an arrow, it's two of them. And you can mm -hmm. put them right on the page, like right where you left off. So if you're in the middle of the page or on the bottom of the page, you can put the little, you can slide the arrow on, it's like a little clip and you slide the arrow on there and it, it saves your place in your book. And then the last item we included was um, a pen pouch because we always ask the mathematicians, like, what's in your mathematician bag? Like, what can't you live without to help us curate their boxes? And Anna mentioned that she loved a good pen. So we included a pen pouch that you can kind of put over a journal or a notebook or whatever and stick your pen in there. So I always ask myself when I'm curating the boxes, and I'm finding, the, especially these items um, that I just mentioned, these three to five items, is it practical? Is it, some, is it consumable? Like, is it something a, a child can use right away? Is it something that will not collect dust on a shelf or just be a, an extra thing in their house? And then their mom or dad is emailing us like, this stuff is piling up. You know, I don't want any of that. So is it something that they can use right away? Um, 
And is it something that is educational or uh, or helps them better understand math or helps them get a feel for how math can be tangible, which is really what I ask myself when I'm looking at the, not the affirmation, when I'm looking at the, um, the manipulative. So like I said, a book can be a manipulative in a Black Girl Magic Box because as we've, as we've talked about, we always have to make sure they're understanding the relationship between math and ELA. So that's one piece of it. Then with the stickers, we always do a sticker sheet, a custom sticker sheet with six stickers on it. And we work with a local artist by the name of Phil Simpson. And I just basically am like, hey, hey Phil, here's the theme for this month. Here's what I want to like kind of underscore this theme. Can you draw these things? And, and Phil had this excellent idea. He was like, I want to do a portrait. I want to make a sticker of the the mathematicians every month. So one of the stickers is always of the mathematician. We have them share their hair, a headshot, and then he uses that headshot to create a cartoon drawing of them, which wow. they love. And then the kids, going back to that conversation about representation, the kids get to see this Black woman mathematician wherever they choose to put the sticker on the computer, in the notebook, you know, on the on the diary, wherever wherever right. that the stickers end up. So that's the set another piece, the math affirmation. So those are always original statements. Sometimes we do the the math affirmation, we we kind of make it fit with the theme and then other times it's just a very general statement. So the very first our very first math affirmation from our July 2019 vibe was just I am a math person. Because we're trying to help them see themselves in the math driver's seat, so to speak. We always want to have some type of positive statement around math using I or me or my, again, building that math identity and that ownership. So it's, it's a statement that a kid can be excited about. I think about that, like, what will they be excited about? What 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 is something that's not too high level, you know, where they can maybe, you, I don't want to get too deep into the math. The sure. math affirmation. So, you know, what is something that would really resonate with like an 11 or 12 year old? So I think about that. And then um, for the math activity booklets, which are our original booklets, and we make them look like magazines, but they're full of math problems based on the theme. I work with um, my math content writer, who is um, a numeracy, numeracy specialist. And she um, before that, she taught sixth six to eighth grade math. Um, it's really based on the theme. So like I said, we, for Anna's box, it was around book math. So we had them doing activities around numbers in books. So for example, just to give one quick example, we had them actually edit a portion of Anna's interview. And we took it, we took that portion of her interview and we put a whole bunch of typos in it and the wrong types of homophones and homonyms and all of that. And then they had to, the students had to go through and edit, but then they also had to tell us what fraction of the words in that blurb were of mis misused homophones or wow. misspelled homophones. Yeah. So now they're like having to if they if they forgot what a homophone was or if they maybe had not had not seen that before, now they're learning or refreshing their memory around homophones, but then they're also doing fractions. So I always try to make sure that the themes always have to be something that a child resonates with, that they can connect to, that makes sense for them, um, that speaks to their social realities, their lived experiences. And then 
once we find the woman mathematician, it's like, hey, let's, you know, whatever her story is, let's let's take it and let's flip it and let's put it in this box and get some kids inspired. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. Man, I wish I had this when I was a kid. Man, I wish I had this when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're uh, working on a boy box too, Kwame. Coming oh. coming somewhat soon, I think. <laughs> so this is what uh this is a black boy magic. Is that how it's gonna go? No, my husband said he didn't like that name. I actually had thrown it out there and he was like, I don't think that's gonna work. So nah. we're still <laughs> <laughs> we still solidifying the name, but it's gonna hey, be it's all good. Yeah, worth the try. It's worth the um, try. I tried. I got one more question before we get to lightning round. How do you okay. believe how do you believe society um influences the way in which black black girls perceive their abilities as math learners? Yeah, that's that's a that's a loaded question because there's so many messages every single day, indirectly, indirectly telling black girls that math is not something for them. I always think about pop culture in this when I when I answer this type of question because I haven't done this as a formal study, but just for my very empirical study. Nine times out of 10, when a kid is struggling in the TV show, they're struggling in math. Nine times out of 10. The other time is that. probably science. You never yeah. you never see anybody on TV like the kid is like struggling in like social studies or geography. It's like always math class. And then when someone is coming in to help the kid with math, and it typically it's like the kid who's struggling is like the popular kid, the pretty kid, or, you know, the jock or the cheerleader. I know you go with this one. And then, you know, who's coming in to help? Like the nerd. Like, oh, the nerd. The, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> the ugly duckling. Yep, like exactly. the social, like, outcast. talk like this. <laughs> yeah. Nobody <laughs> finds them attractive or cool oh, or fun. Gosh. What what is that telling our babies? Yeah. What is and I know I know that that's across the board, race and gender, like kind of on aside, but that's across the board. But then we also have for our black girls, and and I think people mean well, but we know, and it has been, you know, USC did a study that said across the board from their study that teachers who they who they who participated in a study that black girls were rated the lowest in terms of a teacher's perceived ability for them to do math mm. and that was across race and gender for the teachers right. and that I think speaks more so to implicit bias thing more than anything, you know, because they don't, people are not necessarily going into a space like, who am I going to rate low on the math scorecard today? Right. I don't, no one, I'm sure nobody's thinking that, but we've all been conditioned in some way. We've all been 
brainwashed, maybe we don't realize it. And that's, you know, where the term implicit and unconscious bias comes from because we don't realize we're doing it. So that shows up, that can manifest itself in different ways. Like who's getting called on in math class? Who's not getting called on in math class? Who's getting extra credit? Who's getting half credit? Who's getting no credit on a certain problem? So all of those things can contribute and do contribute to black girls like not necessarily seeing themselves as um as as math learners or their abilities being played down you know i have a number of of subscribers i don't i don't know the exact number who are in environments where they're one or they're either only one or one of a few black girls or black children in their classes yeah um and their parents are getting the boxes literally so that they can see that representation and they can see um, people who look like them who enjoy math. So that's another piece of it. If you're in an environment where you're the minority or where you're not getting or where where the images you see are of things that don't or people who don't look like you, that can also contribute because it's like, well, if I don't see anybody who looks like me doing it, but I see somebody who looks like my friend doing it, well, maybe that means it's, excuse me, it's for them and not for me. So that representation, again, going back to that, that's so important. Um, so those are, I mean, it's, it's, it's so many different ways in so many different conversations we could have about that question, but those are some of, some of the, some of the things that jump out at me um, in terms of how society tells girls, especially black girls that math is not for them. Mm. Facts upon facts upon facts. Yes, and we, we could talk more about this for sure. There's there's so many things to unpack. We deal with this issue. All right. Um, so we're pretty much at the hour. So this is the time that we start to get to the home stretch and do the lightning round. So just a few quick hitter questions uh to close us out. Uh first question is What's your favorite math topic to learn or teach? Algebra, hands mm. down. I just, I, I just love algebra. And I feel like, well, I know, not I feel like, I know part of it was because I had great algebra teachers. And because I find, and it's so funny, you know, you know, every now and then that meme pops up on social media and it goes viral about, do instead of teaching these kids algebra, y'all need to be teaching them, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, but actually algebra is used so much in real life and we don't realize it. So now I'm on this additional mission of helping people see how algebra, we actually did an algebra themed box last year because I have a chip on my shoulder about about that. (laughs) Um, And it was like, do you know when you use algebra? We had like a page of the math activity booklet and it was like at the gas station when ordering pizza, you know, all these different scenarios. So algebra is um, my love. I love it. Yeah, for sure. And what's the most difficult math topic to learn or teach? A lot of my students have struggled with fractions and negative numbers. I think it might be a tie. Oh, wow, yeah. 
And I didn't mention this earlier because I didn't think about it, but I I taught for almost a year. I taught GED math to adults. Okay. And they also struggle with fractions and negative numbers. Um, I mean, it's it's I think it's pretty obvious why though, because when you're introduced to numbers, right, as a kid, as a baby, when you learn how to count, you're not like counting fractions, you're counting whole numbers. It's all positive numbers. <laughs> yeah, they're all positive. And then after a while, you're like, wait, you mean to tell me that I'm taking two of the things you have told me are numbers and you're putting them together and saying that's a number too? Like also a number also? Like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Oh, and then there's numbers less than zero, but I learned how to count at one and up. It's not yeah. making sense. <laughs> so yeah, I've seen just and then and then when you, when it's time to start adding and subtracting <laughs> negative fractions, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! There's a lot happening there. So yeah. yeah, but those are consequently two of my favorite things to tutor because I just love again like and I love to use food. It's like you know, remember when have you ever asked your friend? It's so I ask my students. Ever asked your friend for a piece of food? Like maybe you they had a cookie and you wanted a piece. And most of the time they have. Well, you took a fraction of the cookie. Boom. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> but I think with integers, integers are so important because if students are able to understand the rules of integers mm -hmm. particularly um positive and negative ones right it impacts the ability to do all the other stuff we're trying to teach correct it impacts the ability to do fractions it impacts mm -hmm. the ability to understand coefficients that are negative mm -hmm. fractional coefficients mm -hmm. you know in equations and all these other things like that as a middle school math teacher. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh man. Like you have to do drills on that because if they don't get those down, it impacts everything because those little errors will all stem back to them not having that down. Exactly. Exactly. And I've tutored <laughs> high school students, you know, who did not who had who had not who were not extremely comfortable with both fractions and negative numbers. And when we're trying to get your trig assignment done or your algebra assignment mm. is due tomorrow and you, you know, sometimes you waited until the last minute. It's, 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 I don't even, I, cause I, it's almost like I am, I'm doing, I don't even know what I do. And I've done it many times, but I don't even, I can't even tell you, I can't articulate what I do in those moments because it's like, I just got to make sure they get, I got to do like this crash course, but then I also have to help them yeah. understand like what the, what, what the present assignment is and then help them get to a point where they can actually get the work done and submit it. But I'm like, now yep. I want to spend a whole nother week with you just working on this foundation. And that's, again, that's really where the idea for Black Girl Magic came, came from. And I was like, these kids have to be ready, not only for middle school math, not only for high school math, but also just for life. I mean, we need to use basic math, even if you don't want to become an engineer, you don't want to become a math teacher. Maybe you want to be an architect. 
Maybe you want to be a pastry chef. They use all kinds of fractions and measurements and conversions in the kitchen. Maybe you want to be an accountant. Maybe you want to be an accountant. Maybe you want to be a musician. You need you need the math no matter what. And it was like so many doors are 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 being closed before they're even open because our kids aren't feeling comfortable with those basic math concepts. So, you know, I was like, there are a lot of people already doing something about it. Let me join them in 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 this mission. All right. And then we'll uh end with this one. Let me have three words that'll define your 2022. It's three words. Health, faith, growth. Health, faith, and growth. Love it. Man, Brittany, uh, listen, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad we're finally able to have this conversation. This has been great. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. And Kwame, yeah. I'm going I'm to I'm ask you on the air. Um, when we get this boy box up and running, we would love for you to be one of our future mathematicians. Would you be interested? Oh, come on. Uh, I'll be honored. I'll be honored. <laughs> Man, I feel like I done made the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> nope, we got to have you in there. You got a math degree. You're doing some amazing things and some 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 more boys because we know we know you you. You've impacted some boys' lives, but we need you to impact some more. So we need you to come on and share your your mathography in in our in the boy version of our box. So oh, I'll course. keep you posted. I'll I'll be honored. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Um. And listen, let people know how they can follow you, not just on social media, but how can they get a box from Black Girl Magic. Wonderful question. So our website is blackgirlmathmathgic.com. And not only do we have our subscription, which of course we recommend, especially if you have a child who has some deep-seated math anxiety, we need to undo that every month with our boxes. But we also sell any of our leftover boxes as past boxes in our online shop, which doesn't require a subscription. So on our website, you just head on over there, click on shop, and you'll see everything we have to offer. And also on our website, you can find our social media. But just in case you want to hop right over to social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Black Girl Mathjic, and on Twitter at BLK Girl Mathjic because Black Girl Mathjic was too long. And we have a YouTube cha- uh, YouTube page, but it needs a little sprucing up. But there are still several unboxing videos on there if you're just really interested in all the things that come in the box we have a few unboxing videos on there as well all right y'all heard it go ahead blackgirlmagic.com go check out the boxes not not only this month's box but past month's boxes there you can get them right there today and Brittany, again thank you so much love the work you're doing and uh continue success Moving forward. Thank you, Kwame. Same to you. All right. Uh, you take care. Bye. Right, bye-bye. All right, y'all. So we're about to end another fantastic episode of a, of Radical Math Talk. And as always, I wish you all good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Radical Math Talk. 
Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. We are always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard today, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at Identity Talk 4, numeral 4, educators.com. I'll say it one more time. Identity Talk 4, educators.com. Thank you and have a great day.